As of the release of this episode, Cinco de Mayo, Spanish for May 5th, was just over a week ago. Happy belated. One of the most common misconceptions about this holiday is that it is widely celebrated in Mexico. In fact, Cinco de Mayo isn't even observed by the Mexican government. Instead, Cinco de Mayo is most commonly celebrated in the United States. The holiday originated in 1863 among Mexican laborers in California mining towns. In the 1940s, as the Chicano movement encouraged Mexican-Americans to take pride in their ethnic identity, Cinco de Mayo became a celebration of Mexican-American culture. Since then, the celebration of Cinco de Mayo has ballooned in the U.S. Although it varies from year to year, Cinco de Mayo frequently records the highest beer sales out of any holiday in the U.S., regularly beating out both the Super Bowl and St. Patrick's Day. In 2005, for the first time, Congress officially recognized Cinco de Mayo as a holiday. This begs the question, why do we celebrate Cinco de Mayo while Mexico doesn't? While this stems from another common myth about the holiday, contrary to popular belief, Cinco de Mayo does not commemorate Mexican Independence Day. Instead, it celebrates a crucial military victory, one that perhaps Americans of all backgrounds can get behind. For much of history, both North and South America have been defined by colonization, specifically by European nations. Continuing with the theme of misconceptions, Christopher Columbus did not, in fact, lead the first European expedition into the Americas. That title is held by the Norse Vikings, who established settlements in present-day Greenland and Canada. Columbus, meanwhile, laid ground for Spanish settlements in the Caribbean, Central America, and South America. Simultaneously, however, Portugal set its sights on South America, making conflicting claims with Spain. To ease the tensions between the two nations, Pope Alexander VI ratified the Treaty of Tordesillas, splitting the non-European world into two halves, with each designated to be colonized by either Spain or Portugal. France, meanwhile, mostly sought out territories in North America, with several fur trading posts being established along the St. Lawrence River. England came next, establishing its first colony in Jamestown, Virginia, as the first step of its expansion into the largest empire in history. The Netherlands had a brief stint on the east coast of North America, with the establishment of New Netherland in present-day New York and New Jersey, but this colony was soon absorbed by British America. And last, and probably least, Russia under Peter the Great laid claim to Alaska and established a few small outposts in the Pacific Northwest. Out of all of these nations, I'm going to briefly focus on Spain because of what many would call their crown colony, New Spain, which primarily encompassed present-day Mexico, but also included Central America, the Caribbean, parts of South America, the Philippines, and over half of the present-day United States. From 1810 to 1821, the Mexican War of Independence was fought, resulting in the dissolution of New Spain and the establishment of the First Mexican Empire, an independent constitutional monarchy. In spite of its independence, however, 
Mexico would face unwanted influence from a European empire for decades to come. And no, it was not Spain. I'm going to tell you all about it right now on Historia Obscura. Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 62nd episode of this podcast, and I'm so glad you stuck around for this long. Special thank you to Patreon subscribers Barbara and Tom. If you want to receive a shout-out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and becoming a patron. One more thing, make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura, Anchor. If you want to make your own podcast, you'll want to know everything about how to use Anchor. Mexico had a rocky start as an independent nation. In 1824, the first Mexican empire was overthrown and replaced with the first Mexican republic. However, this new government was plagued from the start by internal tensions between federalists and centralists. Federalists, inspired by the government of the United States, sought to create a federation of self-governing states. Meanwhile, the centralists, inspired by the powerful monarchies of Europe, wanted to create a unitary government with a strong central government. The stark divide between liberal and conservative Mexicans further contributed to these tensions, as most liberals associated with federalism, while conservatives were generally centralist. Every single Federalist president after inaugural president Guadalupe Victoria was ousted by a coup d'etat, but the Federalist government still managed to retain power each time. Eventually, in 1835, the final blow to the First Mexican Republic was struck when the Federalist government was overthrown by a young Centralist military general. You may know of him, especially if you are a resident of the southwestern United States. He is, of course, Antonio Lopez de Santa Anna. A Spanish sympathizer, Santa Anna established the Centralist Republic of Mexico, a military dictatorship modeled after the colonial system from the days of New Spain. Despite his initial popularity, Santa Anna's tenure would be defined by failures, most notably the loss of Texas during the Texan Revolution and the loss of present-day Arizona, California, Colorado, Nevada, New Mexico, Utah, and Wyoming during the Mexican-American War. In 1846, Santa Anna was overthrown by Mexican Federalists and exiled to Spanish Cuba. The Second Federal Republic of Mexico was re-established, and Santa Ana somehow managed to return and make himself dictator again in 1853, but he was soon removed from power and exiled for good to Staten Island, New York. After the liberal government put down a conservative rebellion in 1860, it seemed that Mexico would remain a federal republic for years to come. The next year, however, it was France that came knocking on their door. In 
Prior to 1861, there was a brief skirmish between France and Mexico. In 1838, during the rule of Santa Anna, who would go on to lose his leg fighting in this war, a French pastry chef working in Mexico City claimed that his shop had been ransacked and looted by Mexican soldiers. This incident exacerbated other concerns about French citizens living in Mexico. The ensuing war between the two, known as the Pastry War, was won by France. Mexico was forced to pay 600,000 pesos in reparations to both the pastry chef and the French government. Two decades later, in 1858, Benito Juarez, the first Mexican president of indigenous descent, was elected president on a liberal nationalist fusion platform of ending debt payments to France, Spain, and the United Kingdom. These payments, which had disproportionately high interest rates, had left the Mexican government on the verge of bankruptcy. In 1861, Juarez formally ended the payments. This outraged Emperor Napoleon III of France, who began plotting with allies of his Spanish wife Eugenia de Montillo to overthrow the Republican government of Mexico and establish a pro-European puppet government. The stakes were raised when the world's largest silver mine was discovered in Zacatecas, Mexico. However, Napoleon III realized that there was one crucial obstacle to the plan, the Monroe Doctrine. The Monroe Doctrine, articulated by U.S. President James Monroe in 1823, basically just said that Europe and America should each mind their own business and that European imperialism of any kind in the Americas was by extension an attack on the United States. Knowing this, Napoleon III inferred that a French-backed overthrow of a North American Republic would draw the fury of the U.S. But in April of 1861, the plan became viable once again with the start of the American Civil War. With the U.S. military left preoccupied, and with the material support of Spain and the United Kingdom, French troops under Napoleon III commenced a naval invasion of the Mexican city of Veracruz. The city quickly fell into the hands of the French, and after four months, negotiations between France and Mexico collapsed. The Franco-Mexican War had begun. Attitudes toward the occupying French among Mexicans varied. Perhaps unsurprisingly, the centralists and conservatives who wanted Mexico to have a government similar to that of a European nation like France supported the French. Additionally, opinions on the French were somewhat divided along racial lines. While the mestizo majority generally supported Juarez and the Federalist government, the upper-class white elites were more supportive of the French, as were some Native American tribes, who believed that a unitary government would grant them more legal protections. And of course, the Catholic Church, concerned with Juarez's plans to secularize Mexico and slash the church's influence, was more than happy to see the devoutly Catholic Napoleonic France invade. Still, most of Mexico's population continued to support its elected democratic government. In addition to their local supporters, France was aided from without by Spain and the UK. 
as well as Austria, Belgium, and Ottoman Egypt, all of whom wanted a chunk of Mexico's resources. And just as Napoleon III predicted, the U.S. did absolutely nothing because they were preoccupied with the Civil War. So yeah, the Mexican Republic was kind of outmatched. In spite of this, the Republicans won several early victories by fighting a guerrilla war against the French. The most notable of these was the 1862 Battle of Puebla, the inspiration for Cinco de Mayo. However, the tide soon turned in favor of the French, and Mexico City fell in June of 1863, as Juarez fled to northern Chihuahua and set up a government in exile just across the border from El Paso, Texas. Meanwhile, having captured the capital, the French established a puppet government for Mexico. This government was a constitutional monarchy known as the Second Mexican Empire. Who was the monarch, you ask? Well, in an effort to warm relations with the powerful Habsburg family, Napoleon III invited Ferdinand Maximilian von Habsburg-Lothringen, an Austrian archduke, to become Emperor of Mexico. On April 10, 1864, he was crowned Emperor Maximilian I in Mexico City. Around the same time, several prominent Republican generals, namely Santiago Vidauri, defected to the empire due to disagreements with Juarez. French troops were attacking on several fronts, and things were not looking good for the Mexican Republic. In April of 1865, the Republicans in Mexico had a stroke of luck when the American Civil War ended in a Union victory. Throughout the war, the U.S. government had passively sympathized with the Republic, and with their hands now free, the U.S. began providing material support to Juarez's forces. Secretary of State William Seward invoked the Monroe Doctrine, and in the last few months of 1865, 30,000 rifles and additional supplies for the Republicans arrived in Chihuahua, they were followed the next year by 3,000 American soldiers deployed by President Andrew Johnson. Interestingly enough, thousands of Confederate refugees fled to Mexico and aided the empire, as slavery remained legal in areas controlled by the empire. However, these refugees were no match for the U.S. military. With the additional manpower, Juarez gained the upper hand, and the Republicans captured Mexico City in February of 1867. Emperor Maximilian fled to Querétaro, but the Republicans soon encircled this city. Maximilian tried to escape by sneaking through the Republican lines, but he was almost immediately captured. He was court-martialed for treason by the Republic, found guilty, and sentenced to death. On June 19, 1867, Emperor Maximilian I was executed by firing squad at the age of 34, alongside his highest-ranking generals Tomas Mejia and Miguel Miramón. A federal government was restored, and Mexico entered a period known as the Restored Republic. The Mexican victory in the Franco-Mexican War marked the final time that a European nation ever militarily occupied North America. 
Benito Juarez is a revered figure in Mexico to this day, and the community where he set up his wartime government was later incorporated as Ciudad Juarez. Also, Benito Mussolini was named after him, but we don't talk about that. In the U.S., the story of a North American republic fending off European imperialism was very well received, which is why we celebrate Cinco de Mayo. Sadly, the restored republic did not last forever. Juarez died in office in 1872, and in the subsequent power struggle, General Porfirio Diaz emerged as the new autocratic leader of Mexico. Mexico was condemned to 35 years of dictatorial rule known as the Porfiriato, followed by the 1910 Mexican Revolution, a bloody civil war that killed 1 in 10 people in Mexico. From then on, Mexico experienced 71 years of uninterrupted single-party political rule in what was described by some as, quote, the perfect dictatorship. In 2000, Vicente Fox was elected president bringing an end to single-party rule. Although Mexico's government today has no shortage of flaws, it has come a long way from being an empire and a dictatorship to a democratic, multi-party republic. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura. It was certainly very interesting for me to research. If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at anchor.fm slash historiaobscura slash message. Feel free to leave your name and location, and if I like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. Additionally, if you want to support this podcast, Go to patreon.com slash historia obscura and become a patron. And of course, I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Anchor. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to anchor.fm. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long.